Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Give a copy of God's Word which you find the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this evening. I am so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. And uh, we are continuing this series that we just simply called Origins. And we've been looking at the origin story of, of really everything was what we did week one. We just said, where did, where did everything come from? Where did the universe come from? And what does the Bible teach about the origin of, of everything? And then last week we looked at what is the origin of a person? And what qualifies a man? What qualifies a woman? And we looked at what the Bible teaches in regard to the origin story of how God, he created men and women, and we're continuing that series tonight. And one of the big questions that's asked often when you get into conversations with people is like, man, what's up with all the problems in the world? And I don't know if you've had any news like I've had recently where you've got the phone call from maybe somebody in your family, or, or maybe you got a call from a doctor, or or maybe it was a friend of the family, that was our situation. And we get a call and we, we, we get the news on the other end that, that one of the kids is sick and that they've gotta to go to the hospital. And my wife and I, we have three little kids and we've been doing life with some other families that have little kids and come to find out one of the six-year-old boys in our friend group, he has brain cancer. And so this green bracelet that I've been wearing for almost a year now is, is I'm wearing that so that I remember to pray for this young boy that's been battling brain cancer over this last year. And he's gone through all of the stuff, right? All of the surgeries and all of the, the radiology and all of the chemotherapy. And, and he's almost through his last round of chemotherapy. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, man, we've done everything we can in modern medicine to help preserve this little boy's life. And I don't know if you ever get that kind of news and you're just like, man, that's messed up. Like, what did this six-year-old boy do to deserve this type of suffering? Like, I don't know if you ever ask those questions. Like, when you think about, okay, God, if you're so good, then why would you allow this to happen? I was meeting just a couple of weeks ago with a new friend of mine. He's from the Ukraine. And him and his family, they were here in the States for a conference the week that the war broke out in their home country and they were forbidden to go back to the Ukraine. And so they've been here as kind of like a, a refugee, if you will, a war refugee or at least a displaced people for the last several months because of all of the calamity that's taken place and he's watching the news and he's talking to people and they're like, man, our hometown is burning down and you're thinking, man, what's going on with that? And this guy, man, he's like a sold out Christian and you're thinking, man, why, like, why wouldn't you protect this guy? Why wouldn't you let him get back home? And, and God, what do you do? And I don't know if you ever have those questions. I was on an airplane ride um, just a few months ago and I was talking with a person and I, I like to I often ask this question. Um, I'll ask, hey, do you have a faith? Or <laughs> I kind of have a cheat code when it comes to spiritual conversations because if I just ask somebody, hey, what do you do for a living? And we talk about that for a little bit. Then when they ask me, well, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, lay up, right? And so I can talk to them. Like I do this thing every week where I get in front of uh, hundreds of young adults and I get to talk to them about this ancient book called the Bible and how it connects with their life practically. And, and then I can just kind of segue into, do you have a faith? And I'll ask that question. And so I was having this conversation with this person and eventually the question came out like, man, I just have a hard time believing that there's a God out there that's good when there's so many problems in the world. And I was like, well, then how do you explain problems in the world? 
and I begin to ask this person, what's your, if you will, origin story of how, there are, how to explain the problems and the brokenness and the wars and the suffering and the brain tumors, and how do you, how do you explain that? What's your defense of that? And I just begin to explain to this person, this is what the Bible teaches. And tonight, I wanna point you to what the Bible teaches is the origin of evil, is the origin of all suffering, is the origin of all brokenness, is the origin of wars, is the origin of all the calamities, it's the origin of death, it's the origin of all the problems that we face in this life. And I wanna teach you that tonight. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Origins, where did evil come from? And I wanna talk about the source of evil, the choice of evil, the results of evil. And before we leave tonight, I wanna point you to the origin of the greatest message ever told. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the guy that wrote Genesis is a guy named Moses. And Moses, he was like this, this spiritual leader that was also like the president and like the king of God's people. And so he led this revolution of God's people that stacked up to over a million, and they rebelled against the tyranny of the slavery in Egypt, and then they're walking through a desert to get to God's promised land. And while they're on their journey, God begins to show Moses, these are the stories, these are the origin stories of the world, of my people. This is the origin stories, and Moses starts writing some things down. And the first five books of the Bible were authored by this guy, Moses. And Moses, when you study this guy, Moses, I don't know if you ever study the Bible and you're thinking like, these guys that wrote the Bible, they were probably perfect, like stalwarts of people, you know? They were probably, had easy lives. They probably sat in some sort of metaphorical ivory tower and, and like, you know, birds fluttered every morning and they just saw the starlight birds like we saw earlier tonight just going and sunsets and God spoke to them clearly. And, and if that's your picture of the people that wrote the Bible, uh, let me just kind of debunk that real quick. The men and the women that wrote the Bible, they had issues, y'all, and they had problems, and they were imperfect people, but they served an extraordinary God, and God used them in extraordinary ways. Like this guy, Moses, like he was no doubt wrestling with the question, God, what happened to the world? Why are, why are there so many problems in the world? A little bit of Moses' story is that he would have been brought up hearing about the day where the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave the edict to take all of the Hebrew babies and throw them in the Nile River to be fed to the crocodiles. And so Moses, like all of his peers in this season of life, when he was a baby, this is what was happening, that the government seized these little babies and they began to throw them in the River Nile, crocodiles eating them. You could imagine all of the suffering because this government issued evil that went forth. And if you don't know the story of Moses, his mom actually put together this little, this little basket, put her baby in this basket, and floated him out in the river, hoping the best for the baby. And the best took place. God preserved Moses' life, and he was actually brought up in the palace, and it's a beautiful story. But Moses, he would have heard about this great catastrophe in his life where the government stepped in and did this. Moses, as he became a man, he saw a, a, an Egyptian guy beating a guy that kind of looked like him, another Hebrew, and he steps in, and he's like Conor McGregor in the moment, and he kills this guy with his bare hands. And so Moses, one of the heroes of our faith, he has murder on his track record. He murders this guy with his bare hands, and then it's like one of those weird podcasts that I know you girls be listening to, like the weird murder mysteries. I know, I know you're out there. And so like he, he takes the body, and he buries the body in the sand, and he thinks he's getting away with it. Then they do a little investigation. There's some eyewitnesses, and they come together, and they corroborate all of their stories, and they say, Moses, you're going to get caught. And so Moses flees for his life. 
And so Moses, he had seen the murder by his own hands, and he had hidden the body, and then even when he gets a little bit older in life and he leads this great revolution, you would think like everyone would be like, Moses, 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 you're the man. <laughs> but that's not the case. Like Moses, God does incredible things through like the leadership of Moses. And when they get to a couple of rocky patches, the people start complaining against Moses. And like he begins to see like the hearts of people are so like just grumpy and complaining and murmuring and like just bad attitudes where he's like, I'm trying to liberate you guys. And all they can do is complain against Moses. That Moses, he had seen the evil in government. Moses had seen the evil in people's actions. Moses had seen the evil in people's attitudes. And Moses had seen the evil in himself. Not to mention all of the brokenness that you and I See, every day Moses saw similar things broken. And I'm sure he was asking, where did all this come from? God, if you're so good, is this how you created the world to be? Now, the short answer to that is when you start reading the Bible is, is no, God did not create the world to be that way. So you'll find in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there's this rhythm where it goes like this, that God said it, it was, and then he looks back and he, and he reflects upon what, what came to be and he says, man, that's good. And so you see this rhythm, like God said it, it was, and it was good. God said it, it was, and it was good. The end of day two, God said it, it was, it was good. Day three, and in seven days, God creates everything, and he rests on the seventh. And so in six days, he creates all of this stuff, and then ends, like we talked about last week, with the crescendo of creation, where he creates man and woman, and he looks at them, and he says, these, this is very good. And so God, he creates this world that's rhythmic, that's harmonious. He puts Adam and Eve, our first parents, in this garden called the Garden of Eden. And he says, you be fruitful and multiply and you subdue the earth. You go make the rugged world look like the Garden of Eden. And this was their life. And they got to walk with God in the cool of the day. They were in perfect harmony with God. The lion would lay down with the lamb and the cheetah would lay down with, with the goat and like all the animals, what, they weren't eating each other. It was like everything was, it was magical, it was beautiful, it was harmonious, it was at peace. And God gave our first parents one command. And here's what it says in Genesis 2, 15. It says, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Notice that, that God is not a God of limitations primarily, he's a God of liberty. That he, he said, Adam, look at all of these trees. Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And here's the warning. He says, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That we see the principle here that disobedience, it equals death. That the Bible at this point in time, like, you, you know, if, if, if Adam was teaching at Paradigm back in the day, he would have came up and said, hey, turn to the only page in your Bible. And this would have been the only verse in the Bible. It would have been like a fortune cookie. You have one command, Adam, and here it is. And apparently, there's just something inside of our hearts that tends to want to rebel against the rules that God has put in place. Now, a lot of people ask, like, well, if God knew that Adam was gonna sin and unleash all of this evil in the world, like why, then why even give Adam like this possibility? Why would, why would you even give Adam the choice? Well, God knew this, that a world without choice is worse than a world without suffering. That God knew this, if, if I just create people 
and I don't give them choice to have relationship with me, what kind of relationship is that? Like, like if I go to my wife and say, hey, you, like, no, you have no choice. You're my slave. You must love me. None of y'all are going, oh, I can't wait to get married. That is so sweet, right? Like a, a, when there is no choice in the relationship, that's a robot. And so God gives Adam and Eve, our first parents, he gives them a choice. And he says that there's this one tree and you are forbidden to eat from it. Because if you eat from it, it's gonna unleash death. And they're like, what's death? He's like, trust me, you don't want to experience death. And this was the Bible at the time. But the enemy, and we looked at in week one that the fall of Satan has already taken place. And the enemy is that you have this, this one Satan, he is, he's a mastermind, man. He's creeping around and he's conniving and he's deceiving because he's been kicked out of the presence of God and he's been destined for destruction. And we see that he begins to creep in and the enemy, he has this ability to flaunt things in front of you so much so that you'll begin to salivate over something and even despair until you have it. And we see that the origin of evil is captured here in Genesis chapter three. Here's what it says. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now the serpent, if you're reading this just kind of through the Bible, you wouldn't really understand who the serpent is really. But upon other readings in the Bible, you find out, especially in like Revelation 20 verse 2, you find out that, 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 that it's the biblical authors, they speak of the serpent of the old. They speak of Satan as the dragon and as the serpent. And so this is no doubt speaking of Satan himself. This word Satan's not used here. The word Satan, one of the earliest appearances of, of the word Satan is used in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And if you've ever heard like the devil called Satan, and you're like, what is Satan? The, Satan literally means adversary. This is the, the title that's given to the devil because he is, he is opposing the work of God in the world, that he's an adversary against all that God is. He's an adversary against all that God loves. And so this one Satan, this serpent, has come into the garden and he begins to, in a cunning way, tempt Eve. And here's what it says. That he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said back to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, early on, we see that, that Eve, even though the Bible's only like in a fortune cookie, it's only one page long, she's messed up the word of God. That God didn't say that you shouldn't touch it, and so Eve is adding a rule to what God has said. She's adding a rule. This is kind of the heart of a legalist. If you know what a legalist is, what that means is that somebody has the command of God and then they add a layer to the command of God and they say it's, it's, it's wrong to, to bust through the layer. Like Pastor Phil, our lead pastor, he says it's when you have a sin and then you draw a fence around the sin and then you say it's a sin to cross the fence. That's legalism. And this is what Eve's doing early on in the Bible. Even in a perfect world, there's still this tendency to misunderstand or to add to what God has said. And so Eve, she's even got the Bible confused, even though it's only one verse long. And then here's what it says in verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Just a few words, five words, you will not surely die, means so much. That he's beginning to question the authority of God. That Satan, the adversary, he's beginning to question the integrity of God Almighty. This is bold. And he goes on, he says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, 
knowing good and evil. Put in one if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. The source for evil. The source for evil. So you have the serpent, and he's tempting and stirring up rebellion in this woman's heart. Like what he's doing is that he is not making Eve sin. Listen, Satan cannot make you sin. All he simply does is tempt you to act on the sin and the, 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 uh, the propensity to sin that's within. That you and I, we've come in here tonight and we have the potential to sin because God has given us the choice. And Satan is tempting every one of us to act upon the rebelliousness that exists inside of our heart. And so the source for evil is inside of every one of us. So temptation at its core, you see it playing out right here. And the way, that the, the way that Satan, the adversary, the way that he's tempting Eve is the way that he's tempting you and I here tonight. And here's one of the primary ways that he begins to tempt. You see it right here. He begins, he begins to question God's goodness. He, you begin to ask yourself things like this, like, uh, it, you know, I think God's trying to keep something from me. And so he starts by questioning God's goodness, and this is the foundation of temptation. You see it there in, in verse, or in, yeah, like in verses one, he walks in and he begins to say, did God really say this? And what he's saying is, is God really good? So some of us, you've come in here tonight and, and you're battling some temptation in regard to your, your sex life. Like some of you have come in here tonight and, and you can't remember a day where you have not looked at pornography. You've come in here tonight and you can't remember a day where you haven't scrolled through TikTok watching people do things that, that you probably wouldn't classify as like hardcore porn, but it's definitely arousing something inside of you. And what's difficult is that when we see the sex ethic of God, that we're to abstain from sexual immorality, and that we are supposed to pursue sexual purity, and that you can have sexual liberty inside the context of a monogamous heterosexual marriage, we start thinking, man, I don't know if that's good. And you begin to question, is God's, is his way really best? And Satan, he begins to cause you to question the goodness of God in this area. Or maybe you've had somebody do you wrong, you know? And you've come in here tonight and it's like, man, that, man my dad, he did me wrong, my mom did me wrong, or my ex did me wrong. And, and then you start reading the Bible and you read things from the mouth of Jesus that says, like, you have to forgive people. And you're like, man, I, I can't forgive them, God. That's just not right. And you have Satan beginning to tempt you to say, hey, is God really good that he would ask you to forgive that person? And we begin to question the practices of God, and this is the way that Satan works. And we begin to ask God, is your will, are your plans, is your mission, is that what's best in my life? i got a question for you tonight. Where are you questioning the goodness of God? What area of your life have you come in here tonight and you're allowing Satan or you're allowing temptation to cause you to question the goodness of God? Is it in regard to your pleasure? Is it in regard to some relationship that you're in? Is it in regard to some sort of uh, source of satisfaction or purpose? Where are you questioning the goodness of God or where are you failing to trust his leadership in your life? And that every one of us have come in here and God has given us the ability to choose. And the source of evil is when we rebel against the goodness of God in his ways. Another thing that Satan begins to question in front of Eve is, is the seriousness of God. And she begins to, or the Satan begins to say in verse four, the adversary begins to say in verse four, like, like surely you won't die. And here's the lie. You're gonna get away with it. Man, how many of us have believed that? You know, it's just this one time. I'm 21. No one will ever know. I'm gonna get away with it. 
And we think that we can do things and that God doesn't mean business when he says, if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And the origin of evil exists in, inside of every one of us. And what happens is that Satan begins to question these things and we begin, to, we begin to doubt the integrity of God's word and we begin to think that when God says that there's gonna be consequences for our sin, that, that somehow there's an escape clause for us and it's not gonna play out for us. Like, what are you doing tonight that you know is wrong? Is there something that you've brought in here, a practice that you've brought in here tonight, and you know that it's wrong because you're trying to rewrite the rules and you're trying to readjust the consequences? And you have Satan tempting you saying, God ain't for real. Like, you, you can treat your sex life however you want to, but he, he, ain't, he, he ain't for real. Like, you're going to be all right. You can treat your relationship life however you want to, but he, he, he's, he ain't for real. You're going to be all right. Now, I think those are the easy ones to talk about, but sometimes we don't talk about uh, the, what, I, what I would call the, the okay sins or the, the, like the small sins. Now, I think sometimes we'll tolerate that God's not gonna, there's not going to be consequences for the little things that are in our life, and it stirs up rebelliousness, and it stirs up evil inside of our heart, things like anger in your heart. You know, Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder towards your brother. Things like lust in your heart, or, or here's one, complaining. That you're just grumpy and ungrateful and you're discontent. Here's another one that sins that we don't talk about. It, that, you know, that you gossip, that you slander, that you put down. And these are all things that, are being temp- that we're being tempted by to stir up and to spew out. And we think that it's okay, that somehow God's okay with those little sins. And Satan has this ability to cause us to question the integrity of God so that we can rewrite the rules. And what we're seeing here is that this is at the core of the origin of evil, that we're all being tempted here tonight to rebel against God because the origin or the author of evil slithered in to our first parents' home and began to question the goodness of God and the integrity of God. And he hasn't stopped since. Now we see what happens next is it says in verse 6, it should have said that the woman stomped on the snake's head or the woman went and grabbed her husband and said, you do something about this. But that's not what happened. Here's what it says in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, a lot of times, guys, we'll begin to throw shade at women because we'll be like, well, if, 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 if a woman didn't eat of the tree, then, then, then we wouldn't be into this, right? You know, and if you know the Bible, oftentimes, I mean, not that men would ever abuse the Bible to, to oppress women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, we have a way of just kind of glossing over this small little detail that's right here where it says that she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. I saw a meme the other day, and it said, well, Eve would have never eaten the fruit if Adam didn't look at her and say, would you just calm down? You know. And we see here that Adam is passively watching the disobedience of his family take place. That there's this choice inside of men. Let me speak to you real quick. There's this choice that's pervasive inside of your life. 
and that you could argue that the origin of evil wasn't necessarily Eve acting upon the eating of this fruit. You could argue that the origin of evil was that Adam allowed passivity to rule in his heart. And that ever since this time, as I've, as I've observed my own life, I'm, I'm in it with you guys, that there's this tendency inside of all of men to, to be passive when it comes to taking a stand and doing what's right. And we see that at the core of the destruction of the harmony and the peace of God is a man that neglected his role and he passively watched his family choose to disobey. And so, man, we're not off the hook. Actually, the man was right there the whole time, probably listening to the conversation. And his wife gave to him, and he ate. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you to write this down, the choice of evil. The choice of evil. Adam and Eve, note this, they did not have to sin. They're being tempted, and no doubt they had been tempted before, but we see in this occasion that they chose to act upon their temptation. They had a choice, and we see this play out, and it plays out in our life too, and here's what happens. It, you see that, that Eve, she began to look at this tree, and she began to see it, and then she began to like it, then she began to desire it, and then she said, I gotta try it. Think about that. Just think about those words real quick. Adam and Eve, they saw it, they liked it, they desired it, so they tried it. What, what are you looking at that's got your attention and you're considering giving in to the temptation? Like what, I think oftentimes, you come in here, you're probably pretty good folk, and so what happens oftentimes, pretty good folk, you'll come in here and, and you're not out like slinging heroin needles, most of you, you know, that's not your deal, all right? Most of you have come in here, just like me, and you're tempted to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And so like, uh, like, like your sex drive or your, your desire for relationship or your desire just to laugh, I mean, like, like those things, oftentimes, those are God-given desires. But when we meet those desires in ungodly ways, we're sinning. And many of you have come in here tonight and you are looking at something and you're beginning to entertain the idea of acting upon that. And so that's what happened here. They, they saw it and then they liked it. And what I think here is that they're lingering upon this. Like she's not just looking at this deal, hearing this temptation and then moving on. Adam and Eve, like they're lingering upon it. They, you know, they're probably, you know, like, hey, we should meet each other at, at the tree. They got all these other trees, but for some reason they got to meet at that tree. And they begin to linger upon it. And then it says that they desired it. This is the word lusted after it. And they're, they're lusting after it, not in a sexual way, that'd be kind of weird, it's a tree. They're lusting after it because they think that if they eat this, then here's the temptation, you'll be wise like God. And so they're being tempted with this decision that will help them get on the same level as God. And they think if I do this, then I'll get this in what the enemy does, what Satan does, because he opposes the work of God in your life. See, what we find in the Bible is that submission to God brings liberty and brings life abundantly in your life. And what the enemy wants to convince you of is that you've got to go out and make it happen. God's trying to rob you, and you've got to go out there because there's something that God's withholding from you. You've got to go out there and get it. And he's like, and he, well, here's what he's saying, I promise you, you won't regret it. And then when you act upon it and regret floods in your life, he says, got another one. And that's what's happening. She's looking at it. They're looking at it. They saw it. They liked it. They desired it. 
and the inevitable took place. They tried it, that she chose to sin, that Adam chose to sin. See, sin is acting upon the evil that's within. Sin is giving into action upon the rebellious thing that you feel inside of you. And the reason why I say is that they didn't have to sin is that we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, that no temptation has overtaken you, which, is, which except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Here it is. But with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That they weren't stuck in this place, in front of this tree, saying, well, we have to. We have to do this now because we're here. No, they could have removed themselves from the temptation, but they gave into it. See, when temptation and opportunity intersect, sin is on the horizon. And they fed the evil that was within them. And when this happened, hell began to break loose. Not in like a flooding way, but hell began to break loose more like the way problems begin to break out when radioactive material has been exposed. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you've ever watched like one of those weird zombie movies like where Chernobyl and all that stuff. And like what happens typically is like, like you know, radioactive material took place and then years later all the zombies come out. You know what I'm talking about? And so like this is the idea that when, when radioactive material goes forth, there's some initial problems. But the thing about being exposed to radioactive material is that more than likely the problems and the worst problems begin to surface later in life. And so when they sinned, all hell began to seep into the world, that there was a fracture that took place, that when they sinned, there were some immediate effects, but they could not have understood the long-term effects that would have taken place. When they sinned, they could have not have imagined that a war would have broke out in the Ukraine. When they sinned, they could have not have imagined that there would be a little boy that would have brain cancer because of their decision. When they sinned, they could not have imagined that there would have been all sorts of hostility and enmity. When they sinned, if you keep reading to the next chapter, they could not have imagined that two of their little babies would have gotten into a fight and one would have murdered the other one out of jealousy. And when they sinned, evil began to have reign in this world. That the reason why there's problems, the, evil, the reason why there's evil, and the reason why there's suffering in the world is because our first parents rebelled against God Almighty, and sin entered the world. We see here some of the consequences of verse 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. One of the saddest verses in all of the Bible to this point. Then in verse nine it says this, then the Lord God called Adam and he said to him, where are you? Such a great question. And so he said in verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden and, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, well, who, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And note this in verse 12. Then the man said, just like a typical man, right guys? Well, it wasn't my fault, you know. Notice that God went to Adam first. 
I, I, don't, I can't get into the complexities of this, but men, let me just speak to you one more time while I have the chance. When you neglect your responsibility to be the man that God's created you to be, the world burns. And we need a generation of men to rise up and act like men, the way that God made you to be. And God is holding men responsible for the well-being of the world, I promise you. Not that women are inferior in any way, but notice who God goes to first here. He says, Adam, I need to talk with you. I'm holding you responsible. This is both the burden and the blessing that we carry, men. And so God, he goes to Adam and, and he asks him like all of this stuff. And then Adam again, he just says, well, the, the woman that you gave me, you know, just a few verses earlier, it was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and let's make love. You know, it was all of that. Now it's like the woman that you gave me, you know, uh, she, gave, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, notice that women, you're not off the hook. God turns his attention now to Eve and he says to her, oh, what is this that you've done? And then the woman said, and so this isn't just a man problem, it's a people problem. She said, well, the, the serpent, it's the serpent's fault. You know, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, the results of evil. The results of evil. I wanna give you five results of giving into evil that we see from these few verses. First of all, you see this, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, you see shame break out. In verse seven, it says that they were both naked, that their eyes were open and they, they knew that they were naked. At one point, they were naked and unashamed, the Bible tells us. Now they're aware of their nakedness, and they're trying to cover up their nakedness. And this is the Bible's way of saying they were filled with shame, that one of the results of evil is shame. I don't know when the last time you were filled with shame, but it is, oh, like I just hate shame. Like I don't even like shame to be present in my house. When I, when I feel myself shaming my kids, for something they've done, I'm like, let me just back that up, right? When I, when I hear my wife maybe shaming one of our kids, I'm like, no, we are not shaming in this household because shame is of the enemy. And shame would not be a thing. We wouldn't even have a word for this if there wasn't sin in the world. That one of the results of evil, one of the results of giving into evil is shame. Note this, another result of giving into evil is religion. Religion. And the second part of verse seven, it says that, that they responded to their shame, their nakedness, by sewing fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. If you don't know what religion is, um, religion is man's attempt to try to fix it. It's man's attempt to try to get back in right relationship with God. So imagine that you're in the scene real quick, okay? And so like, you know, Eve has eaten and Adam ate it and, and they thought they were gonna die and they're like, we didn't die. But then they look at it like, oh my gosh, we're naked. And, and, then, and then Adam, like, like he's a typical guy. He's like, look, Eve, I got it, I got it. Go get some leaves and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put together some sort of plan here and we're just, I'm gonna, I, we're gonna fix this. We're gonna, I've got this, let's stack hands, look at me, Eve. I'm gonna, God, he won't ever know and we'll just cover it, it's all good. And Adam is trying by his efforts to fix the problem that he brought into his life and his family's life. And this is at the core of religion. That's why God despises religion. If you think that you can fix the problems that have incurred in your life, if you think that you can reconnect your relationship back to God, that is at the heart of religion. And religion is a result of evil breaking forth in the world. We can't fix ourselves. We, we can't go get fig leaves and cover up our shame and that be sufficient before God. 
God didn't walk in the garden and say, Adam, I see that you got some fig leaves from H&M or from the normal brand, whatever it is, you know. This is made well. Like, this is good, right? Very, very vegan you got this going on here, you know. This is nice. Like, that's not, no, God doesn't, he, had, he doesn't even acknowledge the foolishness of Adam to try to cover this up. Five results of giving into evil. You have shame. You have religion. Verse 8, you have running. You have running. That Adam in verse 8, it says, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, it says that they, they ran and they hid themselves. They ran away. That God is literally looking for them. Again, I told you, I think that this is the saddest verse in the Bible up until this point. Like when I come home, one of my greatest joys of coming home, even tonight, my, my kids, they're here tonight, and, and, and my youngest, she's peering over, they sit up in the terrace, she's peering over the edge, and she's waiting to see me walk in the room. Because there's something that when, when there's a right relationship between a father and a child, it's like, oh, I, I love my father. I can't wait to greet him. Mother, daughter, they made me coffee tonight. And she ran up to me and she's like, here's your coffee, father. You know, like, it was amazing, you know? And my, my, my 10-year-old, she came up and she, she hugged me. Because when they get into the presence of their dad, what is right, what is pure, is that they run towards him. And one of the saddest verses to me is if I came home and my kids just began to scatter because they were afraid of me. If I, if I came home and they, they, didn't, they were hiding from me and it wasn't a hide-and-seek game, it was like we were literally trying to get away from dad, that would be so sad to me. And one of the results of evil breaking out in the world is that some of you have come in here and this is like your last chance to try God because you've been in the last three years, you've been running away from God I talked to somebody the other day and I, and I was asking about their, their involvement in, in church and, and like, man, I'm just now getting back in. I said, well, you know, what happened? And they're like, man, I was, I was running. I was running from God. And one of the results of sin, one of the problems that is inside of every person that has sinned against God is that we run away from him. And we weren't meant to run away from God. We were meant to run towards him bring him coffee <laughs> and let him bring him hugs and peer over the edge and say, oh, God's here. One of the results of evil is that not only do we run, but we hide. Again, in verse nine, it says that they, they ran from God and it says that, that God has to go and say, where are you? That many of you, maybe you've come in here, I know there's been seasons in my life where I've, I've come into spaces like this and, and, and maybe I'm beginning to take steps towards God, but I'm kind of like, you know, God, here I am, I've come to worship you, and I'm surrendered to you, God. My hands are open wide, and I am surrendered to you. And we think that somehow God's pleased with an eight on our surrender scale. And he sees the two fingers that we're holding something and that we're hiding something from him. And we think, we're, like, we think if it's cloudy, somehow God can't see everything that's going on. We think if the room is dark, that somehow God is okay with what, like, I don't know what's going on in that room. Like, sometimes we think that we can hide from God. You can't hide from God. And this is not a surrendered life. And one of the results of evil is that you think that you can somewhat surrender over to God. You think that you can sort of be a Christian and God will have no half-hearted surrenders. And one of the results of evil is that we live a, a unsurrendered life and God's saying, I need your hands open to me. I need your life completely surrendered to me. And many of you have come in here tonight and there's something that you're willingly hiding from God, so to speak. And God is saying, this is a result 
of evil playing out in your life. This is a result of, of terrible things, even in the corruption of the world. I just got through reading a book about the Osage Indians. I don't know if y'all know much about the Osage Indians. They're, they're native to this part of the country. And, and they landed in some, uh, a, a territory in Oklahoma that had a bunch of, bunch of oil in the ground. And so they were per capita the richest people in America in the early 20th century. But the corruption of people began to take advantage of them. And like this whole book is like this dark, like nasty, you know, dramatic, and they're like poisoning people. And, you know, I, I capped on, or I, I hated on the girls earlier for listening to these, you know, um, these weird murder mysteries, but I'm guilty too. And so like, it's just weird. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is so fascinating, but so dark and how tragic. And why would people do this? Because they think and we think that we can run from God and that we can hide and that we can give in to our selfishness and it's not gonna, it's not gonna catch up with us. And this is a result of the evil in the world. The fifth thing that we see here, a result of evil is, is blaming, blaming. Again, in verses 12 and 13, they, God asks Adam and Adam says, well, it's the woman. And the woman says, well, it's the serpent. And, and they just begin to blame and they begin to play the victim and they don't take ownership for their, for their actions. And so like many of us, we've come in here, I was in this thing earlier today and they're like, who, who, what is the greatest challenge in your leadership? They asked me that question. What, what's the biggest challenge in your leadership to date? Who, who's been the most difficult person for you to lead? What's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? And I said, well, this may sound weird. I don't know if this is what you're asking, but, but the biggest challenge in my leadership, the hardest person I've had to lead in my lifetime, yeah, yeah. I said, that's me. I said, because, man, there's, there's parts of me that, like, I can, I can justify certain things with one hand tied behind my back. I'm good at it. Like, I can, I can justify why it's okay for me to, and I'm suspicious of my self-defensiveness, where I begin to kind of defend myself and I've had to learn to do that because there's this tendency to play the victim and say, well, the reason why I've turned out the way I've turned out is because my daddy did this. The reason why I'm doing this in these relationships is because my mama didn't give me this. And God is saying one of the results of us giving into evil is that we blame now what goes on in verses 14 through 19 is that God begins to announce these curses and God, he, he curses the serpent, then he curses the woman and then he curses the man and this is the conclusion of one of the saddest chapters in all of the Bible and this is the conclusion of one of the saddest chapters in human history. And so where does evil come from? Where do, where do wars and where does suffering and, and brokenness, what's the Bible explanation to that? Well, God created a world that was good. And he gave mankind a choice with one commandment. And we were tempted to rebel by the king of rebellion, Satan. And he convinced our first parents that God wasn't good and that God wasn't serious about his commands. And when they gave in to the rebelliousness in their heart, they sinned. And sin unleashed hell in this world. 
Now, I don't know if you ever hear like the bad news of the Bible and you're like, wow, that's dark. I'm so glad I came to Paradigm tonight. This was a dark night, you know? And you think like, man, like the, the, the Bible's just so discouraging. And, but listen, the Bible's the best-selling book of all time. And the reason why the Bible's the best-selling book of all time is because it doesn't just explain the origin of evil. But the Bible, it's full of paradoxes. Like it'll take two things that seem to be completely unrelated. It'll bring them together. And you'll say, man, how did, how did evil and that thing exist together? How did God use this? And how did he curve the curse to bring about blessing? And we see that take place here in Genesis chapter three, in the midst of one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible, in the midst of one of the dark, darkest chapters of human history, God gives the first message of redemption. It says here in Genesis 3.15, it says that God, talking to the woman, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking about the serpent. He says, I'm gonna put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. He says, and between your seed and her seed. And he says this, you shall bruise, or excuse me, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Point number four, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. The origin of the gospel. The origin of the gospel. Now, at first glance, this just kind of seems like some words, but when you begin to understand what God is saying here in Genesis chapter three, in one of the darkest chapters of all of the Bible, bursts forth this ray of light that theologians, they call this the proto-euangelion, which means the first gospel, that God says, listen, you sinned and you disobeyed. These are the consequences of your sin, but God says, I have not abandoned you. I have not, I have not left you. I am gonna redeem this. I'm gonna solve this problem. And so a basic story on how to understand, or a basic philosophy on how to understand the world is what was the world made to be, what went wrong, and how do we get it back to right? And God tells us in Genesis 1 through 3 that God made the world to be good, but sin caused the goodness to dissolve and to become corrupt. But here in Genesis 3.15, we get a glimmer of hope that God is going to redeem it and make it back right, that paradise lost will again be paradised, regained. Then in the midst of the darkest hour, God shines forth and he says that one will come that will reverse the curse of sin and death. And Moses, when he's writing this, he doesn't know who, he doesn't know when, he doesn't know where, but the Bible records and history declares that eventually Jesus would step onto the scene and he would be born of a virgin and one of his goals in his existence and his life was to crush the head of the powers of evil and of hell. And the way that he would crush the head of the powers of evil and hell would be by allowing himself to be bruised, by allowing himself to be wounded. That the scripture tells us that Jesus came and he died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty of sin and he overthrew the powers of hell. And that when he rose from the grave, he came out alive and he says, I am the Lord, I am the one that would come and crush the serpent's head. And so even in the midst of this darkest hour, we see a glimmer of light and of hope. So if you've come in here tonight and you're overwhelmed by evil, if you've come in here tonight and maybe you're, you're undone by the brokenness that's in the world, if you've come in here tonight and, and you're like, man, why is there so much suffering? 
I would say we can't change that. That this is a result of the fall of mankind. But one thing that we can know for sure is that that's not how it was supposed to be. That little babies aren't supposed to get brain cancer. Wars aren't supposed to break out. We're not supposed to have hatred in our heart and enmity towards our brother. And the only thing that can right all of those wrongs is God himself coming and restoring the gift of life. And the way that you embrace that is you simply admit, man, I'm broken. I need God in my life. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the grave and that I confess him as the Lord and the Savior, the one that crushed the head of the serpent. And I want to follow him all my days and on into eternity. And I want to be a part of the restored Garden of Eden when Jesus makes all things right. And you can make that decision to begin that relationship tonight. And I wish that you would. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Question number one is this. What area of your life are you questioning the goodness of God? Question number two. Where are you trying to rewrite the rules? Thinking that you're just getting away with it. You're being tempted, you know. That this was the play that Satan ran against our first parents and he's still running it today. Next questions. What are you looking at, lingering upon, desiring that you're about to act upon? And what's on the other side of that decision to sin? And if you're unsure, let me just tell you, it's a form of death. That Satan always overpromises and underdelivers. Question number three What are the results of the evil that you've done? Are you running? Are you hiding? Are you trying to work your way back to God? Are you blaming, playing the victim? And the last question is, would you turn to the only one that can give you a new heart? Would you turn to the only one that can redeem you tonight? His name is Jesus. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And he is the one that has power over hell and over Satan. And he is the one that you need to surrender your life to. And why wouldn't you do that tonight? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. God, I thank you that you don't leave us in the dark as to what went wrong in the world, but you've given us an origin story of evil. And I thank you for that so that we don't have to wonder who to blame or, or how to make sense of this, but we can simply look back and say, this is the explanation the Bible gives for all of the brokenness in the world. And God, I pray that as we understand that, we would also see clearly that you didn't leave us without hope. That in the darkest chapter in human history, in one of the darkest chapters in the Bible, you inserted a ray of light, a ray of hope, that one day you would come and you would make all things right. 
And I pray that that would be a reality that we cling on to tonight for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.